Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Attention, attention, which is, of course, English for Achtung, Achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk uh, with me, Al Murray and James Holland. And given the state of the nation, it seemed only right to make sure we're all on our toes, especially those of us in Tier 4, doomed, doomed on Plague Island. God. Yeah, but listen, don't don't, don't, don't feel isolated for long because we're all going to be isolated in any... I mean, yeah, I'm, I in, I'm, in tier, we're, we're I'm in Tier 2 down in Wiltshire, but, oh, that's looking strong. Uh, well, Early yeah. Days. But, 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 you know... Clearly, we're all going to be in. We're going to be in tier twenty, aren't we? In yeah, exactly. They're just know, going to go day. up. What is tier twenty? Um, you're on your own on the toilet by yourself. Yeah, you can't. You week. can't do anything. <laughs> you're not allowed to leave the house oh, except God. with full gas mask. It. Okay, well. And luckily, someone has a gas mask, don't they, James Holland? They shouldn't wear it because it's full of asbestos. Yes, but someone, so, someone's emailed me and offered me. A 1942 um, Tommy helmet with original netting and a gas cape attached. Wow. Got to do that. Amazing. Got to. You've got to have that. And also a Royal Armoured Corps um, jacket. Really? Yeah, with the bears. What's that, 49 div? 49 div? Mm, I think so, yeah. Yeah, blimey. Yeah, again. Uh, And beret. Gosh. Oh, God. 
Do I succumb? So what have you... Now, James, obviously, what I... Yes, of course you're going to succumb. I mean, what I've been working on is a, is an early production Tiger Mark 1. Um, I, I had it on the... I got it on the desk for Thursday on my office desk. I normally don't do this in my office. I got this on the office desk on Thursday night for the live cast, and it's not left the office yet. Um, is that is, because you've I been mean, banned from the kitchen for, for doing more modelling? Yeah. Yes. Enough basically. is enough. If we're going to survive stru- tier four, it can't turn into a model shop. <laughs> I think I think that's exactly. I mean, are you a fly on my wall? I mean, I think I think what I love about one of the things I think that's really funny about the Tiger tank is all right. It's this, you know, this behemoth, and it's the most advanced tank for its time, and all that, and a tank that, you know, but it's just a box, isn't it? Look at it. Look at it. It's a box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, or it's or rather, it's two boxes. So it's, it's like the, a slab. The, it's the box housing the chassis and then the box housing the crew. And the, I mean, it really is, it's as rectangular and boxy as it could be. And you know, what? with the T-34, rightly everyone goes, oh, the, 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 the sloping glacis, of course, doubles the armour potential. No such, no such uh, trickery on the Tiger tank. That front plate is essentially, it's perpendicular, isn't it? It's, yeah. but it, I mean, it's, what is it? That's a 90, 95 degree angle that that sits at, that front plate. I know it's bloody thick, but like it, it's the, the sheer basic boxiness of the Tiger tank sort of weirdly appeals to me. It's like just make a big tank and make the armor thick. And just fucking get on with it. Is the yeah, 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 is the yeah, desi- yeah. is the design aesthetic quite clearly? Oh, it's, anyway, do you think do you so, think you can apply the rule? Of, I mean, there's a rule of thumb of aircraft, isn't it? That, that that if it looks good, it probably is good, and that if it looks like a complete dog, it probably is a complete dog. And you know, you only have to look at the Mustang and say the Heinkel ones. One seven seven four engine bomber to realise that 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 rule of thumb holds true. Do you think the same can be said for tanks? Because I would argue that it probably can. I think, I think so. Yes. Um, you look and, at a tiger. It just I mean, looks it, great, doesn't it? But it's like all of these bits of technology. You can even the layman can see the overcomplication where it where it lies. That that you know that that. If you look at if you look at the Tiger suspension or the Panther suspension, you are look you're looking right at overcomplication right there. All those extra wheels. You look at say the Sherman or mm. anything with a Christie suspension where the wheels come off in one. Yeah. You know, and they're modular. You can just see. I mean, I, I, I it is. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, the Churchill's not pretty, is it? But it's um. It's super effective. Yeah, it looks the... it looks damn solid though, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, you look at that, and I know that that's also blocks, isn't it? I mean, that's that's got no sloping glasses either. But 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 you look at it and you just think, whoa, that's that can take some punishment. Yeah, and it's I mean it's a, 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 a weirdly low profile for such a big tank. Anyway, I mean, so what are you what are you working on at the moment, James? Cause well, you, I'm, cause, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm having a, tar- a a torrid time of it, if I'm completely honest. Well, I'll. I'll let the listener know. The other morning, um, uh, James rang me. He said, you've got to look at these photos. You've got to look at these photos. And he's got a load of aerial photos of Gold Beach, of Jig Green, Jig Red, which are two of the sectors on Gold Beach, uh, La Hamel, um, uh, Anel, that stretch of Gold Beach that's just to the east of Aramash uh, uh, itself, isn't it, basically? It's sort of a few miles, a a couple of miles east. In 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 that way, and um, and James has been tearing his hair out oh about God. um who landed when and did what, and 
we went through the photos and the first I mean, the first thing that's really interesting is that map because there's the, the bigot map. Bigot, bigot is the level of cl- security clearance, isn't it? That you had to have um, super top secret bigot map. Well, of 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 that bit of the coast. And they seem to know everything. I mean, that's the really interesting thing. Which bits are mined? Which bits are flooded? Where the defence blocks are? They seem to. I mean, that's the th- first thing I was struck by. Is they do seem to know everything about, or have a good good idea of what they what they might run into. Uh, yeah. And the, the, yeah. And that map's about right, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's absolutely bang on actually, because it's it's done from, of course, from from aerial photographs. So so the the three stages to this. So first of all, you need to get get the right wartime maps that people are using. And if you look at at war diaries, whether it be a brigade headquarters or a, uh, an infantry battalion or the Sherwood Rangers Yeomanry or whatever it is, they're all absolutely riddled with map references, usually six figure references, which is exactly what you do when you're learning how to map read an OS map. So it might be eight nine one nine zero two, and that's square eighty nine along and one hundred yard stretch. Um, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. So you can work out exactly where where people are, and it, and it's and it's really really fascinating being able to kind of tally those things up. The second thing you then need to do, you there's, there's three things you need. So you need you, four things you need because you need the map references from the war diaries. You need the map to which you can apply those those references, and they are obtainable. I I um, uh, my good mate Paul Woodage Woody from Normandy sent me a complete set, but I've also picked up. A load from Stanley Christopherson, who was the commanding officer of the Sherwood Rangers, and much of this, this um, not on D-Day itself, but from much of it from uh, all the way to the end of the war, from his own personal collection, plus from ones I got at the National Army Museum, plus ones I got from um, the Sherwood Rangers archive. So I am totally mapped up. I, you know, if you, if anyone needs a wartime map of Northwest Europe, I'm your man, <laughs> and particularly Normandy. I've now got the whole lot of Normandy, and they're fascinating. So. So that's good. Then you need Google Earth because you be you still need to kind of work out where it is now with that aerial f- photography now. Then you need to become a member of the National Collection of Aerial Photography, which is held in Scotland, which is the big um, aerial photograph archive. Yes. And it all the is, Mednums, all the Mednum stuff. It is amazing. My God, what an incredible resource that is. And I cannot believe I'm only kind of just getting onto this. So for 25 quid a year, that enables you to go on and um, click on a photograph and then zoom in on it to 300 DPI, which is not quite good enough, but it's good enough to do an awful lot. If you then want to kind of look at it more, you can... You can chuck some dosh at them and you'll get 1,200 DPI. And I'm waiting for my 1,200 DPI photographs to come. But as it is, just at 300 DPI, there are certain photographs you can look at which were taken on D-Day where you can see that they are DD tanks because you can still see the kind of not the, the screen. Oh, God, it is amazing. And the, and the so the, the big issue, so there's a debate going on. Because um, a very, very nice fellow called Christopher Jerry, who is the son of Sidney Jerry, who wrote, um, was it 15 platoon, 12 platoon, whatever it was, about the Somerset Light Infantry. Um, he has written a book about the Malta Brigade, you know, our friends that used to be commanded by Roy Urquhart in Sicily. And he were obviously on Malta before the um, during the siege. They're one of you know they're one of fiftieth division spearheading infantry units, uh, infantry brigades on D Day on Gold Beach, and the idea is that um, you know 
as per normal, you would have of the three battalions in your brigade, you would have two up front and one one coming following in behind. Similarly, with the Sherwood Rangers, were attached to give them fire support. So B Squadron of the Sherwood Rangers was attached to the First Hampshires. Um, C Squadron was attached to the First Dorsets, and then A Squadron was following up with the Second Devons. Now, in his book, he suggests that the Sherwood Rangers didn't land. A, where they said they were, or B, when they said they landed. So he thinks they landed a lot later. So post 8 o'clock rather than at H-5, minus which was 7.20am, which is when they were supposed to supposed to land. And I think he's wrong about that. I, I, think, I think they did. But what I do think is that B Squadron landed on Jig Green, where they were pretty much all supposed to land. But C Squadron landed on Jig Red, which is a bit further along along with almost all the infantry. So the 1st Hampshires, a company of the 1st Hampshires, do land on Jig Green, but only just. So the reason the infantry don't see the Sherman the Sherman Rangers is because they're not on the same part of the beach. And similarly, C Squadron, all their accounts say, we landed you know, on time, but there was very little opposition. And that is because in between the strong points... All you've got is wire, bogged land and mines. You haven't actually got any Germans firing at you. And at Jig Red... So there's also, at the, at the western end of Gold Beach, on Jig Green, there is the casement at Le Hamel, which has got this 77mm anti-tank gun pointing down the beach. So it's enfiladed along the beach. But the next strong point is... So that's part of WN37, Wilderstand Nesta 37, strong point 37. The next one is WN strong point 36. And just after that, there's a little kink. And then the, then the coast starts to sort of slope slightly to the right, um, slightly southwards. So if you're landing on Jig Red, you're out of the, the, the arc of fire of that 77mm gun. Yes, you're sort of in the lee of the... In, basically in the, in the lee of the gun, aren't you? So yeah. you're, you're in the clear, yeah. And at some point around half past eight, nine o'clock, something like that, the naval beachmaster for Jig Green stops any further landing on Jig Green. Says, just don't even go there. Go to Jig Red. Now, the reason no one wanted to go to Jig Red in the first place is because there are these sort of clay patches and they thought that too many tanks and, and vehicles would get bogged down. They still recognised that they needed to go there. So they had these roly-polies, which was this sort of coconut matting that they would roll off and you'd kind of go onto it and that yeah. give you the grip you needed. So, uh, so that's a, the Avery with the enormous bobbin on it. Yes, but they also had them just attached to the front of the LCTs, the landing craft tanks, which are about, about uh, how long are they? About 50 metres long. You know, they're much bigger than an LCA, which is your kind of like a, it's not a Higgins boat, but it's, you know, the smaller, typical infantry landing craft. And what happens is... There are these six lanes. So, so, so you, you get off, you've got the beach obstacles. You, we've all seen those. The the the, the hedgehogs. There's cross. You know, bits of three pieces of cross steel. You've got the kind of poles with the mines on. All that kind of stuff. You've got the Belgian gates, which are these kind of sort of standing vertical bits of steel. Um, you've got all those. Then off the beach, about 20, 30 yards inland, there's a there's a there's a lateral road. But between that, there's obviously shitloads of wire and mines and all the rest of it. And beyond that, it's all kind of waterlogged. So you've got to get onto the onto the onto the lateral road. But the only way you're going to do that is for the engineers to kind of clear these paths. And now the six lanes supposed to be cleared, but lane one doesn't happen. Lane two and lane three are in jig green and really struggle. And all the averages that are supposed to do it start getting knocked out and brewing up and stuff. And flails get knocked out. 
Then there's four and five, which do which are well into jig green, jig red rather, the next part of the beach along, um, out of the line of sight of the of the casement at Le Hamel. And then there's a further one at uh, jig uh, um, uh, further six, which is much much further along the beach. The problem is is that they're not really happening where they're supposed to be happening so beforehand you've got the frogmen the naval frogmen who are clearing the obstacles and they're clearing lanes through those so that you can get through the obstacles and then the point is that they are supposed to line up with those that the 82nd assault squadron re are clearing off the beach to the lateral road but none of them are marrying up so that means that your landing craft are then having to dodge these obstacles and on top of that, the, the the tide is coming in way, way, way quicker than appreciated because of what, the tides and the, the storm and all the rest of it. Why the bad weather? Because of the bad weather. Yeah. So high. So right. low tide is, I think, six fifteen, if I remember rightly, off the top of my head, on the western end of of, of Gold Beach, which means that high tide should be about eleven fifteen, but it's probably more like about eleven. So suddenly that beach is really shortening and you've got all these landing craft which are taking longer to get to the beach because they've got to navigate through these not very well cleared channels to the to the uh, to the lanes which haven't really been opened. And so suddenly you've got this kind of mass of congestion particularly on Jig Red which is compounded by the fact that the beachmaster on Jig Green has said actually we need to move everything over to Jig Red. So it turns into this massive, massive bun fight, which is why there's a photograph in the Imperial War Museum archives of a, a, a Sherwood Rangers A Squadron tank called Aberdeen, which shows that it's 50, from A Squadron. 52 on the, on the turret. Yep. Right, exactly. And that, you can see, that is coming ashore at high tide. So not coming at D plus, seven, D plus 90, which is half past eight, but more like 11 o'clock. So you can see how this is all kind of having this, this delay. Terrible... The delay is comp- comp- impacted on everyone's arrival. Right. But what that means is also is, is that also a lot of the infantry battalions, their commanders have been the company commanders and indeed the battalion commander of the first Hampshire's, they've all been shot or killed or wounded. Um, the radio net that's supposed to tie 230, the Malta Brigade headquarters to the infantry battalions, they've been dropped at sea too late and all their equipment's gone to the bottom. So there's a general lack of comms. The, the Sherwood Rangers B Company, uh, B Squadron are on, on Jig Green trying to sort of keep their heads down. Um, I mean, later on you can see these photographs and there's just a mass of tanks that have been knocked out on Jig Green. So presumably they, those that are landing are using those as cover to protect them from those other guns. But, you know, it's not an ideal situation. You're sat there on the beach kind of twiddling your thumbs a bit, waiting for the infantry, not knowing what the hell is going on. If you venture out of your tank, you're likely to be sniped. So it's a it's a huge problem. You've also got guns on the hills over above, between Aramanche and the landing part of Green um, of, of, of Gold Beach, where there are guns. You can now go up there. There's the remains of a kind of radar post. And, you know, that's where they've got the 360-degree diorama thing um um so those guns are firing down onto onto gold beach so the whole thing is a bit of a bit of a cock-up to be perfectly honest so it's not until much later in the day post midday oh yeah and i was going to say about that tank aberdeen so you can see that's coming off but also you can see exactly where it's coming off because right by in front next to the uh, in the foreground of the picture is a whopping great crater yes right an on enormous an enormous great crater yeah exactly but um what's interesting about that is you could it is now possible to go along the entire front of gold beach 
and and analyse those beaches and look for those craters. And there is only one place on the entire beach where there are those where there are two craters side by side on the shoreline. Ah. Ah. So that's where and, it's coming ashore. And that's where it's coming ashore. And that is one hundred percent on jig red. Uh, so it's green. not right. So not where it ought to be. So 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 you've got so you've got an issue where the infantry aren't marrying up with some of the infantry aren't marrying up with some of their armoured support. Right. Uh, and this this obviously this then go this then means that the infantry can't do what they're meant to do and the uh, armoured support armour can't do what they're meant to do. Because after all, it's a it's a mutual thing, isn't it? The infantry protect the armour, the armour protect the infantry. It's the, it's the, it's the way it works, isn't it? Yes. Especially when you're, especially when you're landing because you need the, you need the infantry to, you know, the armour lay down the fire so the infantry go forward to deal with the fire that's dealing with the armour that's dealing with the, you know, blah, 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 blah. So what happens? So do you have, I mean, you show me this photo where there's like an armoured sort of looks like a sort of hunting party going yeah. through Le Hamel with it with a couple of sextons, which is really interesting because after all the sexton, the sexton's everywhere in Normandy, but that never really gets um, and the and the, never really gets the sort of mention that that there is this proper self-propelled. It's not a, it's not a self-propelled gun like a Jagdpanther or a, like the German self-propelled guns. It's a self-propelled artillery piece. So the, the sextons are twenty five pounder on a on a M three chassis basically, and that picture's got a pair of sextons, a pair of crocodiles, probably a Sherman. You think it's a Sherman, don't you? And a, and a, yeah, and no, a half definitely track, Sherman. An M three half track. So, and they're are they out and about without any infantry? What on earth well, is going on? So this this completely threw me, and and I spent probably a day and a half just kind of just thinking, oh, I just cannot work this out, because I I. I'd been given one photograph uh, a couple of months ago of uh, of a troop of Sherman tanks going through the village of Anel, and and the caption was um, tanks going through Anel um, midday D Day. Tossicky crikey, okay. So this is clearly, and then then what I found was in this whole sequence of photographs that were taken on Gold Beach and around Le Hamel and Anel on D Day, they're all of the same flight. They're all from exactly the same flight. There is there is no doubt about that whatsoever. And you can see exactly where he's come. He's he's flown in off the shore to start off with, taken some oblique photographs. Then he's gone all the way down. He's gone back and forth a couple of times, taking kind of directly overhead photographs. Then he's circled around Arnell and then come back to La Hamel, uh, uh, which is this strong point, WM37, where the where the 77mm gun. And there is this, this old sanatorium complex, which is a multi-storey building right on the seawall, where, you know, you've got OP, snipers, MGs, plus guns, and it's just all a bit of a nightmare. And that's what's far, pouring far onto the beaches, particularly on Jig Green, and, and what's causing the hold-up. But what's really interesting, there is no sign of any activity whatsoever in La Hamel at this point. But going down the road to Anel is this armoured column. And I was thinking, crikey, 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 how can this be? And then you can see that it's at high tide and you can see, you know, the tanks knocked out on Jig Green and all the rest of it. And you're thinking, okay, so that that has got to be around, yeah, certainly midday, you know, probably a bit earlier than that, more like probably about half past 11 to 11.45, something like that. Then, and I just couldn't work it out because it does, doesn't tarry, you know, with the accounts from the infantry, eyewitnesses who've been there and stuff, who's saying they're attacking Anel at kind of, you know, midday and all this sort of stuff. You're thinking, really? Well, then how come this armoured column is just sort of sauntering through, no problem at all? And then suddenly I had this kind of Damascene moment where I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, there's some shadows there in Anel. 
in the photos of an L. You can see the church kind of, you know, the shadow casting across the thing. I can't still quite quite work this out because because you'd have thought the sunsets in the west, right? And and anyway, but I, so the shadows look feel to me like they're pointing in the wrong direction. But anyway, there are shadows, and it's and then I I went through all the photographs again. There must be like fifty or sixty of them. And on, 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 on a couple of them, there is a code just on the edge of the photograph, which has been edited out by the archive on most of the other pictures. And it says 1743. So it's the second high tide of the day. Well, there we are. And suddenly, OK, you go, ah, oh, right, OK. So the Hamel has been cleared, and that is a yeah. column moving in towards Bayer. You know, that's going inland. Yeah, towards, yeah, you know, yeah, That's yeah, already yeah, been yeah, sorted. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, it probably is A squadron tanks, but it's also, you know, the Essex Yeomanry, and, you know, these are troops from... Um, uh, and also, kind of um, Royal Engineer. So Avery's. they're not... So they're not... They're not tooling around the Hamel with no infantry support, because that no. would be extremely, extremely ill-advised. No, because the Dorsets have already taken the village of Rides by that point, and, and, and Buho, and all those other places. So, so that solves that one. But it still doesn't. Okay, so but but it still doesn't solve the problem you've got of all these conflicting accounts. So there is this guy called Sergeant Scaife, who is the sole surviving Avery with his. Um, you know, he's got a flying dustbin Avery, a Mark III Churchill with the with the two hundred ninety millimeter spigot mortar on it, the flying dustbin. Uh, and he's managed to get off the beaches. He's one of the 82nd Assault Squadron Engi- Royal Engineers. And he bumps into these four Sherman tanks. And there's no dispute about them bumping into each other. And, and he says, you know, but I couldn't keep up. And they, you know, they sped on and went up the hill and to, to take out these um, these guns at the top of the town. But Peter Soleri says, I bumped into this Avery with a spigot firing flying dustbin. Uh, and he said he was the only one left. Uh, which so it's got to be the same guy, and he says. So we went into I went into La Hamel, and we gave him covering fire while he attacked the um, the sanatorium, and um, he said said you know one shot from that, and the whole thing came down like a deck of cards. But Scaife says, and I went into the san- I went into La uh, Hamel, and I shot a couple of I fired a couple of my dustbins at the at the sanatorium, and eventually it came down. Whereas the infantry go, this guy fired about half a dozen rounds at the at the sanatorium, and eventually it came down. But. Is Peter Soleri correct or is Scaife correct? Did they go off up to the, you know, I mean, is Peter Soleri that, you know, but how, how would Peter Soleri know that if he hadn't witnessed it? Well, he, well, I suppose he heard it that evening. Someone said this, we found this Churchill and I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, after it's, all, because you showed me the Essex Yeomanry battle diary and there's nothing in it to tell you anything that's going on. So they're, they're obviously they're, they're, they're both, they're too busy to note down every last thing they're doing, aren't they? So you've got to assemble it from a patchwork of, a patchwork of accounts, people's memories, of course, which um, may not, may not be all that reliable because after all, how reliable is your memory anyway? And how reliable is your memory when dealing with extreme situations, when the time passes in all sorts of different ways? I mean, I think that's the thing everyone knows is that time passes differently depending on how much stress you're under. You know, everyone's been in a car accident. Well, not everyone's been in a car accident. But if you've been in a car accident, you know that the time weirdly slows down um, as you experience it. You know, that that suddenly everything goes into slow motion or in a high-stress situation. Everyone knows that. So your your grip on time, how long things take, where you actually were, who was actually with you, um, is all is all up for grabs, isn't it? It's the Completely. truth. And and then of course, 
And then, of course, after all, so they're all they all lager up that night and they say, well, what the fuck happened to you? Well, you know, we were we we ran into three, you know, we ran into this bloke with a with a with an Avery. Really? Oh, OK. You know, with a, with a dustbin. They don't know. Do they don't know who he was? They, no. They, and no. and so on. No. And I, 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 mean, I think. And so so how you how you add memory and then of course and then of course there's the thing and I, I think this is the, the the other interesting thing about the historiography afterwards that tell that says well no that can't have happened because you can't have been there because it all went according to plan or whatever because after all if at the end of the day you've got where you've got to. You're not going to write in the war diary. Well, there was a terrible screw up on the beach, and we were all <laughs> exactly. we were all in the wrong. That's we were all dropped in the wrong. They were all dropped in the wrong place. Yeah. If it goes badly, you go. Well, we were all dropped in the wrong place. You know, blah blah blah. And you see that throughout. Account. You know, that that that. If it goes well, it gives a damn where you were where you were landed. It doesn't matter. And I think that's all. That's all part. Not just part of memory, but part of how you handle an event. You know, if you get the outcome you're after, um, it it doesn't really matter, does it? That you no. That, that, I, I think that, I think war diaries have to. That, that war diaries are a guide, and they're very good about kind of where they leaguered up for the night. So yeah. so if it says you know and we um, and you know we were at seven two four six one eight, you know, on the map, and you go, yeah. okay, great. Yeah, the essence of what they did in the day is probably correct. But yep. in terms of Tommy, so so I've I've got the war diaries of every single unit that landed on the western half of Gold Beach. Yeah, you know, from from signals companies to Royal Engineers to yeah. brigade headquarters to division headquarters yeah. to the individual units. Every single one of them is different, uh, and, yeah. and they all they, they all go landed landed you know H hour. Well, yeah. Did you really? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and, you know. And, Took this at this position. Took this at this position. Some of the map references don't even add up at all. I mean, it says, yeah. you know, you know, took out gun at two thirty on this position. Well, that position is a kind of sort of hole in the middle of a field. It's just there's no gun there at all. There's nothing you know, there. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so some of it just doesn't work out. So I think you have to. You, you're absolutely right, and I, and I think you know you can understand why if you were a destroyer captain sitting on the bridge and you notice something happening of significance, you might glance at your watch. But but. You know, imagine you're on an LCT just about to kind of launch your DD tank. Okay, so, you, you know, the the boat is being smacked up and down onto this ground. You know, it's so yeah. big, this thing, uh, and the, the the wind is hurtling from the west. The, the side of your LCT is acting like a sail. Yeah. Effectively. You know, yeah. it's pushing you across. You're going up and down. Spray is firing over you. Your st- guts are inside. Then you've got to get on your tank. You've got to get rid of the steel houses, which are kind of holding it down. You've got to move away the chocks. You've then got to sort of make sure that your screen is up. You can see diddly squat, but what you do know is shells are screaming overhead. You know yeah. that shells are coming back towards you. There's kind of sort of machine gun fire. There's noise. There's just, you know, your whole head is just going... And, but, but, and, and at that moment, you're going, but hold on a minute. I must just check my watch. Yep. Yes. Yeah. HR, HR yeah. on the nose. Got it. Logged. Yeah. Let's go, guys. I mean, you're just not. Are well, you? you? You don't give a well. And about also, that. but also, this is a thing we've talked about before. What is H hour? After all, it's a it's an expectation. Right. It's not a. It's like a phase. It's like the phase lines thing. You yeah. you you plan for an H hour. Ideally, we will land at the peak of the high tide, or, or before the high tide, or whatever. You know, whatever you've picked. Whatever you've decided you're going to do, it's a thing to aim at. It's an aspiration, H hour. Right. It it, it, it isn't it, it it isn't um, 
necess- if you're in a DD tank, it isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily apply to you. No. After all, it's for the it's for the it's for the bloke in the LCT that's trying to deliver you on time. So your H, everyone gets their own individual HR is what it boils down to right. o- o- on the morning of D-Day, don't they? That, 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 because after all, you know, you, you, and the, you and the five guys in the, in, the, or f- in the Sherman, or the the other four guys in the Sherman, you're not going, oh, God, we're 10 minutes late. Oh, no. You know. <laughs> no, you, you're, you're absolutely not. You're, because suddenly, you're landing suddenly... going, well, where are the infantry? Right, OK. Oh, right, bollocks, exactly. they're not here. And, and, we and, better find them. Yeah, and suddenly your whole day has become one of which is incredibly localised. Instead of being yeah. kind of part of this big monstrous thing, it is about, yikes, get get to the beach, get off the beach, keep myself safe, do what I've got to do, but, but survive. I mean, uh, you know, here's a thing that spring, that's immediately springing to mind as well, talking about this, is, is the airborne landings, after all, are characterised by their chaos, yes. aren't they? Yeah. The, 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 uh, and in fact, it's part of the USP, isn't it? That you cause chaos. Why else do they drop fake parachutists in other places? Because they know that airborne landings are 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 about chaos. And the men are, you know, Gale briefs his men. It's going to be chaotic, but you know, stick to your stick to what you're supposed to do, and it'll all work out. You know, good luck, everyone. God bless. This is chaotic, and this is the organised bit. This is the bit. This is the bit that's supposed to all run to clockwork. And in fact, we've been told ran to clockwork in all the sort of general general kind of accounts, haven't we? You know, yeah. apart apart from Colnet and get, not getting taken on day one, blah, blah, blah. But but this is t- this sounds to me like, you know, let's call it organised chaos. Um, uh, if they're y- yeah, pitching up it- in the wrong place. And also, it's very interesting the power that Beachmaster has. To decide, no, we'll go somewhere else. He's got he's got a tremendous amount of responsibility, hasn't he, and, and yeah. authority. Yeah. Well, think about it though. You know, you've got there, there are planned six lanes that are supposed to be cleared from the beach to the lateral road through the minefields yeah. and the wire yeah. by the Royal Engineers. Only two are really being used. Yeah. So you've got the whole of you've got half of fiftieth division landing and using yeah. those two lanes with the tide coming in quicker, with not much beach space. And you can yeah. see why it is absolute mayhem. And you can well, also see why it is, not, it is not until the afternoon that the infantry are able to kind of properly progress because only by that stage have they got themselves organised with fire support, you know, field artillery, averies, and, of course, the Sherwood Rangers, their tank support as well, uh, all, all sort of roughly together. And, frankly, it's a miracle by that stage that, they've, that they're in any position to take the fight at all. Next, which leads me to my next thought, which is if the Germans were even half organised on the Atlantic Wall, what would they have been able to achieve? Well, yes, because of the po- one of the problems of the Atlantic Wall is that it is literally the crust. You know, there is yeah. no second defence line. Yeah. You know, they're, they're building it, but, but, but it's not constructed, which is why had they attacked a month later, it might have been slightly different. You know, because yeah. it is being constructed, but but you know, it is it is get the cross. So what's really interesting is you see that while while Hamill, this strong point around WN thirty seven and the sanatorium, is holding out, actually infantry are moving inland and just bypassing it. But it still has to be yeah. dealt with, and it's still yeah, a yeah. tough nut to crack. Which is why it doesn't fall till about you know four thirty in the afternoon or something. You well, not but, but my point to... is, it's nothing like as sort of cut and dry and straightforward no. as you think it is. No, 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 no. Well, no, because because of because there are so many moving parts. Yeah. It's it it's essentially. It, it, I mean, it's interesting that there's not an FOO like 
directing naval fire onto the sanatorium or are they not they're not doing that because it's because well because this is there's just too there's just too many bodies about and they don't want to shell their own people well i just don't know i don't i can't this is what this is the other thing i, I cannot understand because it's a whopping great building and it's not just yeah. one building it's a whole series of buildings and it yeah, really it's a complex dominant, it? it's a complex it's huge it's like you know if it's it, what it would look like is if you were looking at a kind of sort of you know a three-star beach resort that is what yep. it would look like um, yeah. You know, multiple stories and all the rest of it, and white and kind of really obvious and dominating that part of the, the of the coastline. Yeah, and, and you know the whole point is it's supposed to have been neutralised before they land, which is why they're using jig green. Is is a it has better beach surface for grip on tracks than jig yeah. red, which is why they're dominating there, and it, and it's closer to the road network and all the rest of it. So it makes sense. Yeah, but the reason they can't get there is because it hasn't been neutralised. And it's like, why has, you know, if, if they can get, if, if, you know, if HMS Ajax can fire a shell that can get through the, you know, through through the um, protective guard of one gun on the top of the cliffs at Long Sumer, why on earth yeah. can't they knock down this building? Yeah. And I yes. just don't why know the it, answer. Why is it being left to the average to basically do, to do uh, clearance in a built up area? I mean, it, uh, which is after all, uh, taking a tank through a built up area is an incredibly dangerous thing to do, isn't it? It's, yeah. extri- it's fraught with peril. Oh gosh! Is well. I mean, and obviously, there is no there is no explanation for that. There's no that I can find. You know why it is still standing in the you know two thirty in the afternoon when it finally gets destroyed. I just have no idea. And they yes. So so it well. Are there naval forward? Uh, are there naval FOOs, forward observation officers in this party, or are there, is it the yes. Royal Artillery talking to the Navy? So so why aren't they on the blower to um, you know? I don't know. How interesting. I just don't Gosh. know. You'd have thought, Gosh. You know, I mean, and, you know, and what's also interesting is, is they're pummeling these guns at the top of the top of the hill, these gun positions at the top of the hill. Uh, and, you know, only one scores a direct hit. Meanwhile, when they do find it, when the Sherwood Rangers do finally get up there and, and capture this place, they find something like 124 empty shell cases from this 75mm gun, which have been poured down on towards Gold Beach. I mean, 124 shells onto a beach crowded of people. Quite a lot. That's that. Yeah, they're being pretty busy. They're pretty busy on that battery, aren't they? Yeah. Gosh, how interesting! I'll tell you what. We'll do. Take, we'll take a short break, and then I imagine we'll come back to a bit more of this. And then we do have some. We have some questions to answer. Um. <laughs> uh. We'll see you in a tick. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, um, Al Murray and James Holland. And uh, we've just been doing some proper cud chewing of oh exactly what's going on uh, on on Gold Beach. Now, the, of course, this leads me to ask, is this what's happening on S.W.O.R.D.? Is this what's happening on Juno? Is, it, this, is, this is the point, isn't it? Mm. Is, that, um, is that it's an incredibly complex thing landing, uh, doing this well, kind of landing. Don't forget it? that when they're planning D-Day, they're planning it for summer. So they've got long days. Lots of sunshine. And in their mind's eye, the whole kind of idea with... I mean, the whole point about using DD tanks, for example, is because an LCT is quite a big target, whereas a DD tank isn't. It's low in the water. It can beetle through kind of obstacles in a way that an LCT can't. So there's kind of logic to it. You kind of think, okay, yeah, I understand that. The problem is, is when they're planning it, it's a sea of balmy calm. Um, The sun is high. Um, everything's fine, but it's not. It's blowing an absolute hoolie at ninety degrees from where you're trying to land. 
you know, and as I say, you know, all these LCTs with their kind of, you know, what an LCA is and all the rest of it, all these landing vessels with their flat sides are just basically like sails being pushed across. And um, and then and then you've also got um, just the, the fact that you're kind of being smacked up and down. You've got the kind of the problems, the difficulties of everyone involved trying to get to the shore where they should be and then do what they should do once they get to the shore. And the consequence of that is is that they don't all do what they should do. They don't all land where they where they where they should be landing, and consequently mayhem ensues. And on top of that, the tide is coming in far quicker than they anticipate, and much higher, a much higher. So yeah. the strip by, by the time it's high high tide, the strip of beach on which you can manoeuvre is really really small. So you can see if you if you imagine a sort of traffic lights and you're number seven behind uh, in in line. You sat there for 45 seconds before you can go because first car's got to start and move off, then the next one, then the next one, the next one. So you can see how it kind of escalates and you can see how traffic jams, you know, that, and that's what happens when, when you know, you, you've got... Well, it's, it's, it's exactly the same on a motorway, isn't it, when it goes from kind of three lanes to one and why it just turns into total gridlock. And, and that is what's happening on the beach. And then replicate that at S.W.O.R.D. and at Juno, where Juno, they've but, got really, really high right. sea walls as well to deal with. But this raises a, 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 another another question that, that sort of spins on from what we've been talking about the last two or three weeks. This raises a question that I, I think immediately ties into the thing we've sort of been talking about the last two or three weeks, which is this, right? Which is the British Army. If you read, if you if if you read the the sort of uh, received opinion accounts, what the British Army is bad at, yep. supposedly, is figuring out what to do in a situation that doesn't go according to plan. The, the We're told that how the British Army works, and especially um, in the second half of the Second World War, once it's figured out how to beat the Germans, how the British Army works is like this. You give people some orders, yep. and they only, do, they only do what's in those orders. They only do that O group, yep. right? What you're talking about here is because of the chaos, people having, having to use a considerable amount of initiative... Um, having to join up with other units that they're not they're not necessarily anything to do with yeah you know Avery's and uh, and Essex Yeomanry and Sherwood Rangers and everyone thrown together and then pulling off the thing that they, they've been asked to collectively pull off rather than as their individual units and by the end of the day ending up where they're meant to be so I think it's remarkable. Short, well yes yeah, so 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 doesn't this tread on Rather, this idea that they only do what they've been ordered to do completely, and you can you can get you can get a you know you can get a British lieutenant to to get his section or his troop or whatever to do what you want it to do, but he's not going to do anything beyond that. And if he's faced with a situation that doesn't match his orders, he's not going to be able to deliver no. beyond that. And this completely knocks that into a cocked hat, doesn't it? Completely, because I mean, let's take let's take the first Hampshire, for example. So the battalion commander is killed. Com- the, the commander of a company is killed. By the afternoon, you've got a, you've got a composite um, battalion of B and C companies because they've been so badly mauled. A company is basically kind of sort of no longer no longer operating, if, if I remember rightly, um, being commanded by a commander who is not supposed to have been commanding, and they're doing a really good job. You know they're taking the Hamel, they're taking the, the strong points on the top of the hill, and they're pushing on into into Aramanche. I mean, you know, 
that, that that's that's really impressive. And we've got that armoured column as as that we've seen of Sherwood Rangers, Essex Yeomanry, and Averys all operating together. Someone has has had the wherewithal to kind of coordinate that. Right. So so all right. So let's say let's say then for the sake of argument, because the received opinion is let's say that, you know this is an this isn't is this an exception that they're doing this or is this the rule? Is this what's going on on all these beaches? Is people going, all right, okay, you're with me. Um, we're all tuning our radios to this frequency. to Because those tanks, those tanks, what they're not doing, that column, what they're not doing where they're all ganged up together, what they're not doing is what they did at the, in the Arras counterattack. Those Matildas where they were using hand gestures when they put in the counterattack in 1940 because they haven't got radios and they ha- haven't, or they've not got a net and all that sort of thing. So... That was all done like cavalry charge hand signals in the Arras counterattack. They're not doing that. Someone's got the now, you know, and we're not, I, I, I don't think we can, I don't think we can say, well, it's just those people there on the ground at that time who happen to have this kind of initiative. This surely is how, and after all, Sherwood, Sherwood Rangers are RTA, you know, they're not, they're not professional soldiers. So, so is this, is this, I mean, is this like a can opener for the can of worms that this received idea about how the British Army operate. Is that what this is? Argu- you know, uh, 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 arguably, because because it certainly doesn't sound like they're just doing as they're told. And, and sorry, Gov, we're just going to sit here until someone tells us what to do because it isn't, the th- isn't what we expected. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I, I, yes, I think it is. Because I think the British Army is pretty good by this point but I because, think well, because the, the Americans because, and Canadians I mean because I the irony is the irony, irony is is the British Army convinces itself that this is its problem all the way through the 60s 70s and 80s and then and then spends an awful lot of head scratching and time addressing that this was its problem all along and that this is its inheritance from the Second World War blah 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 and and it doesn't you know it's that thing where it's that thing again the more you push into the account the more the account actually changes quite radically and the and the events change seem to ch- change into something else or take on a completely different set of characteristics. The more you push into it, and in fact, how uh, the, the further you get, they sort of run away. Uh, they run out of your grip. It's sort of t- it's like tantalus, you know. The, 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 every time you reach for the finished version of events, it moves away. You, you, you know what I mean? I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I, I think there are lots... absolutely fascinating. This <laughs> there are lots of instances where commanders don't want to go the extra yard because they're afraid of a wholesale slaughter. There's no yeah. question about that. And they're, you know, these are, these are, you know, people who wouldn't normally be in, in uniform uh, are humane um, and, and don't want to be responsible for getting all their men killed. So you get Understood. that. But, but, but you know, you just don't really get that many occasions where people are not prepared to use their initiative and young people with enormous amounts of responsibility are acting in, with incredible courage, gumption, clear-sightedness and all those sort of things. And, you know, I, I think what's happening on Gold Beach is, is an absolute case in point because somehow, despite the mayhem, despite the veering off the script massively, despite the cock-ups, yeah. despite the losses, despite the kind of shortcomings of, in terms of exit routes and all the rest of it, they sort of get their crap together and, and by the end of the day they've achieved pretty much what they need to achieve they haven't entirely reached all their dd objectives but 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 the moment the weather closes in that is such a massive game changer because yeah. it so fundamentally alters the initial phase and once the initial yeah. phase has been altered 
everything that has a colossal knock-on effect in terms yeah. of coordination, but also time. And, yeah. and time is of the essence when you're trying to achieve your D-Day objectives. And that, of course, yeah. is exactly the problem with you know why they don't get to con on day one. The difference in Sicily a year earlier, in July 1943, is that although it's a bit windy, it's not that bad, and the opposition is almost zero, um, yeah. and, and they are all able to sort of get off the off the, the landing crafts and onto the beaches pretty much on time. Yeah. So they're able to yeah. get to Syracuse on day one, 10 yeah. miles inland. So if you're going to do a compared to what? Because after all, you know, after all, D-Day, they're too slow on D-Day, too slow compared to what? To, you know, well, to a phase line or to, to, to a stated objective, maybe. But compare it to... A, you're not you know compare it with a light a similar event which is sicily well you know the, the here are the things that, that hold them up and after all uh, what happens at sicily is the germans the germans decide to counterattack elsewhere you know like to to, to let the landing happen and then not and then knock it over yep. is what they decide in the end to do um uh but partly because they failed to oppose the landing effectively so they're they're sort of you know their hand is forced in that decision yeah um uh, guys, it's so interesting. It's so interesting. I've, I've, I mean, it's, it's so it's, interesting. It's, well, then, well, then after all, all the sort of focus that's on Omaha for all sorts of reasons, and what happens on Omaha, um, uh, and some of that folk, and you know, you, you start to peel that onion, and it look, you know, if you actually do apply focus to what happens on Omaha, it, that story is quite different to the, you know, the, I mean, the, the thing, the, the Saving Private Ryan version of events, whatever. I, it's, it's, I mean, this is this is really, 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 really fascinating, and uh, and um, th- those pictures, those pictures. I mean, uh, what I'd love to do is we could do this and have the pictures, and I mean, maybe if there's an appetite for it, we'll talk. I mean, we'll suggest it to our listeners now. Maybe if there's an appetite for it. We 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 do a little Zoom thing where we sh- share the screen and we show these pictures, and you can see what we're talking about because they are really. Oh, really I, interesting. Think, I think I think it's so good to do that because it's, it's. I mean, we're talking about it, and obviously, you know, I'll I'll, I'll post some of, some of these pictures up, but it's so interesting because the camera doesn't lie, and, yeah. and you can see what you can see. You know, one of one of the first tanks to get knocked out the Sherman Rangers is Monty Hawley's and yeah. I'm pretty certain I know which one his is on yeah. on on Jig Green you can you can see yeah. it there it is yeah and there's even a, an account of a guy eventually later on in the day going up past La Hamel up the ramp up La Hamel and he goes I went past Monty Hawley's tank and there it is and it's the only one that's pointing in the right direction because one of the guys who survived hid by the propellers for, for much yeah. of the day and he said I saw the tide yeah. come in and go out again yeah and he wasn't picked up till the early afternoon. Well, there we are. Right, should we do a couple of questions? Yeah, go on him. Why not? Okay. Um, uh, this is from Andy Doyle Linden. Um, the Nazis always seem to be trying to hide any real reference to the final solution. The language is always cryptic and guarded, as if plausible deniability was a critical component of their actions. As such, um, this in a way implicated them more deeply than they have been open and transparent. With this implied sense of guilt in mind, was the failure of a quick victory a catalyst to Himmler to accelerate the final solution? Well, to answer the last part of that, yes, quite definitely, is that the thing that accelerates the final solution is how badly the war's going. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and because it is a, it is genuinely a war aim of of the of the of the Nazi state. And actually, let um, me give you an example of that because um, yeah. you know we all know that horrible picture of uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau of the kind of big yeah. sort of entry block with the archway yeah. and the railway going underneath it all the way into yeah. the middle. Okay, so that was only put in, that only became operable in May 1944. And the whole, because what they used to do, the, the railway sidings for, for Auschwitz used to be kind of, you know, a mile away. 
and you'd have to run across you have to walk across this open ground up to that yeah. gate then go in and all the rest yeah. of it and the reason they built that extension was to speed the whole speed thing up speed it up and that yeah. was to get rid of the hungarian jews so yeah. that they could yeah. arrive on the trains and literally just be shoveled straight into the uh, yeah into well the and, and 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 the annexation of hungary is to get is to get their hands on on the jews in yes. in hungary it, yeah. it, it, this, this, you know that that's the that's the the thing that's driving it. But I, I I mean I think it's quite interesting this idea that the language was cryptic and guarded. It was to an extent, but I think, and this is a thing we've been this is a thing we've talked about again in in a different context. Um, I think everyone knew what they were doing, so they didn't have to state it openly. They all knew they all knew what they meant. It's not so much that it's cryptic and guarded. It's that everyone's operating on the same set of assumptions, isn't it? Hmm. You know that that that. that but it is also, against... but it is true that they don't say, you know, we're going to murder. But, yes, but they, they, but they like say that. we're going to they're going to do an action against the Jews. Everyone knows what that means. So they don't need they they don't need to say. And after all, it's a front. It's not murder. It's it's a front. It's an operation against an enemy. So that so that the, the set of assumptions surrounding it mean that they're not they're not going they're not doing plausible deniability they're doing they're talking about it the way they've always talked about it and they do use words like liquidate don't they yeah 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 i mean they they you know and and they always have done so it's not it's not i don't know that it's cryptic and guarded it's they're talking in a different they're talking in a different language that sits on a different set of assumptions except that rests except on, that there is that i mean there's that 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 bit where you know, when we mentioned it before, that story by Gitta Sereni when she's trying to relocate those two kids who've been those Polish kids who've been fostered with that German family, and at the end of the war, the real the parents have miraculously survived and want their children back, and the German foster parents have been told that these are the children of Germans who need foster parents who've been killed in the war against Poland, and um, and and that is a deliberate lie, and that is that is to hide their criminality, which they know they're enacting. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 I think the yes, but I think the but so much of the final solution is 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 sits on a set of assumptions that 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 they all know what they mean, so they don't need to explain it to each other on yeah. on, on on some level. Um, uh, uh, because after all, I mean, you know, that that they're, they're, all of the pla- all of the planning um, uh, for what to do about Eastern, the, you know, the, the conquered Eastern European territories is, is openly genocidal. You know, the, 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 yeah. the hunger plan that it, it's all openly, openly about killing people. Yes. And actually they like, admit, don't they quite openly that they're going to, yeah. they're, they conservatively 20 to 30 million people are going to die as yeah. a result of and it. And they don't, they, and, but they're not, they're not seeing it as murder, are they? They're seeing it as, you know, uh, 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 the, the euphemism the Nazis didn't in, invent ethnic cleansing, you know, where they're they're cleaning areas out. You know, it's uh, mm. I think I, th- I think I don't know. I don't know um, necessarily that it's I mean, that you, you do get this. I mean, you do get this thing where Himmler Himmler's Himmler sort of says, well, you know, when when the dust is all settled, the world will thank us for what we're doing, you know, but it's a dirty job and someone's got yeah, to do exactly, it. Yeah, exactly. Is is how they see it, and 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 you know, sort of in a, and again, you know, to to sort of frame it in their language, it's a sort of, they they regard it as a sort of pest control thing, don't they? Is the, is the is the is the is the language that's being used the language of vermin all that sort of thing? Absolutely. And maybe um, and. And is that are they, have they adopted that language in order to justify what they're doing, or is that the, that that language has led them to do what they're doing? I think it, I think it's probably the latter, 
Um, uh, I mean, it's a this is a really this is a really good question because I mm. I don't think it's as I you know did they think they were committing a crime? I think they knew on some level that other people would think it was a crime, but they didn't think it was a crime. Is the is what no? It, they feel it is, they regard it as a deeply unpleasant thing, which is the burden of their generation to safeguard yes, exactly. future generations. Exactly. So, so you know, plausible deniability probably isn't the right thing to build into it. I mean, certainly by the end of the war, by, by the, the end of the, by the last year of the war, they realise that things they've done may catch up with them. Um, but, but after all, Himmler, Himmler's seeing that in terms of Himmler, for instance, is seeing that in terms of well, the world's run by Jews, um, and you know, uh, uh, when they find out what we've got up to. Um, uh, well, I'm going to be in awful trouble, you know, which is why after all, we talked about this before, why why there are Jews in Belson, because he's a whole load of new Jews in Belson, because he's, Bergen Belson, he's put them there to use as a bargaining chip, because he actually believes that Jews run the world. And if he goes, if he says to the, the Jews who run the world, hey, here are some Jews that I kept alive, people, that, 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 that he'll get um, an easier ride for it, because he actually thinks the world works like that. And so, so in that sense, he realises it's going to be regarded as a crime by some people, but only in his hallucinatory worldview is he making those decisions. Not in a not in the way we might, you know, outside of that bubble, the way way we might see it. Um, yeah, it's a good question because I, I think I think just because we think it's a crime and it looks like plausible den- deniability, I don't know that it necessarily is. Yeah. I think that it's a series of us. I mean, you know, let's talk about euphemistic language around area bombing, right? If it's your view that that's a crime, that looks like euphemistic language. If it's your, if it's yeah, your view point. that it's, if it's your view that it's that it's a thing you do in order to win a war, it's not euphemistic language at all. It's um, dehousing is exactly what you're trying to do to these people, you know. <laughs> do, yeah, do, no, do, I mean, do it's a bad see, point. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is not to say that strategic bombing was a war crime, but it's if you've got a set of assumptions built into your language, um, that, that they don't necessarily mean the things that people coming with a different set of assumptions uh, uh, addressing sure. those. You know, yeah. So yeah. I no, think, I can. Re- I, no, I, I, I think, think you're absolutely right. right. I think you're right. Think I've arrived. I've, I've arrived at a moment of revelation there. Um, should we ask another one? Answer yeah, another one. Um, uh, Andrew Faulkner says, um, I'm listening to a podcast interview in which George Takai of Star Trek fame, uh, that's uh, Sulu, of course, mm-hmm. um, discusses his own terrible personal experiences as a child being a Japanese-American at the start of the Second World War. How were Germans living in the UK at the start of the war generally treating the UK during uh, during the war? He talks of internment, his family losing everything, including their house and their business of being put into camps. Yeah. So basically what, what happened was you were um, this was enacted <clears throat> in, in the autumn of 1939. Um, you were all, all Germans were assessed. And so you had to go before a magistrate and, you know, they were held in, in local towns, you know, such as Salisbury yep. near me or something or Southampton or wherever it might be. Yeah. And you'd have to present yourself and you wouldn't have um, uh, and you would basically just sort of state your claim and you you might have, depending on who you were, you might have um, um, British Secret Service information handed over to the magistrate to yep. help you make and, and you'd be categorised A, B or C. Um, yeah. And if you were A, you were immediately detained and packed off to the Isle of Man. Um, if you were Category C, you were absolutely fine. You could carry on going about your business. And if you were Category B, you were kind of being watched. And you yeah. you were curfewed and you weren't allowed to go anywhere. And you, you were basically in Tier 4. 
Um, what sort and, of numbers are we looking at? Oh, I can't remember. I mean, it's tens of thousands. I mean, yeah. you know, if not hundreds of thousands, a lot. There's an awful lot. And, yeah. and ditto with the Italians as well, once they enter yeah. the war in June 1940. Uh, yeah. um, and, and those restrictions were kind of sort of amended. And, you know, if you were Category B, you could be downgraded to Category C and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there was a lot of that going on. Uh, and, and lots of German Jews were kind of categorised A and kind of... Yes, yeah, 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 and, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, and you were much more likely to be put in the category A if you. I think all blokes were in rich initially. If you were over eighteen to kind of sixty, I think you were yeah. immediately detained to start off with. And you know, this is just you know, it's, it's very very bad luck and unfortunate and miserable for for some people who were completely innocent, of course, who've come to Britain just to escape the Nazi horrors and all the rest of it. Yeah. But also, it's about national security in an age where you haven't got kind of cyber and you know your your means of tracking people down is comparatively limited. So, um, you know, you've got to do what you can. And, um, you know, it, you know, restrictions obviously eased as the war came. And and lots of people who had been detained at the start of the war ended up joining, um, joining British armed forces and serving and serving very courageously and successfully. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, you had an awful lot of people going, oh, for God's sake, I really hate the Nazis. You know, like, I want to help. Um, and, And having a, having a sort of frustrating time of it before, before it, before they uh, before the government decided to change tack yeah um yeah uh, it, i mean it can't have been it can't have been any fun being german and ge- an honest german in 1940 no. in britain no. <laughs> but it's amazing how many germans did end up fighting i mean the guy you know one of yeah. the guys who who translated hitler's last will and testament was a, was a british intelligence officer yeah. who was german yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah i interviewed yeah. him he was great yeah. he'd lived in england yeah. ever since 1937 yeah yeah well, the ones that got out in time, yeah. Ken Adam, Sir Ken Adam. Yeah, Ken Adam, Ken Adam, of course. Klaus yeah. Adam, of course. Before yeah, then. yeah. Mm, well, I, I think uh, that's that's all off today. Done an hour, um, haven't we? We've done an hour. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I, I am so fascinated by this D Day thing. And oh also, God, but, you and me the same. But, 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 Jim, the cat, the can of worms, it opens. Oh, my, I know, I know. You know, there's a PhD to be done on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe someone out there wants to take that on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to get on to chapter three. <laughs> ah, brilliant. Well, that's it for today, folks. Um, we all we know it's a tough old Christmas for many people, especially in parts of the UK. If you're on your own, do please keep an eye on your podcast feed. We're planning some bonus content throughout the Christmas period, and there'll be book extract, extracts and extra pods whenever and wherever we can. I need to do mine. Um, thank you uh, to all our listeners. Um, 2020 is nearly done, and we hugely appreciate all your support throughout the year. The We Have Ways community, um, the afflicted, continues to thrive. Here's to a much happier and healthier 2021. I mean, 2021 doesn't really have a hard act to follow. No, it? but it's not I mean, looking good for start, is it? Let's face oh, it. God, don't, don't get me started. Um, happy Christmas, everyone. Or as our friends on the continent might say, Fröhliche Weihnachten. Yes, see you, see you all. Happy New Year and happy Christmas. Cheerio. Cheerio.